That song, that's a great song, man. The goodness of God is running after you. You know, you read uh, Deuteronomy 28, and Moses is talking about the blessings of the covenant, and it's like they're going to chase you down. You can't even, you can't even get away from them. They're going to chase you down, man. In the city, in the country, wherever you're at, the blessings of God are going are to chase you down. So, anyway, good morning. <clears throat> My name's CJ. I'm one of the deacons here. I'm obviously not Frank. Frank apparently is uh, not feeling so well this morning, so I'm pitch hitting for him. Uh, we don't do this very often, but if you guys wouldn't mind, we're going we're gonna to rise for the reading of God's Word this morning. We're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter, chapter 8. And we're going to start in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Go to the Lord with me, please. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. It is honey to us, Lord. And I pray that you would use it this morning to strengthen us, that we might seek your glory and know our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So like I said, my name's CJ. I'm a deacon here, if you don't know me. I also do some, uh, some prison ministry uh, which really I haven't done hardly any of in the last six months because I can't get in. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so <clears throat> I have a couple questions for you guys this morning. Why do prayers go unanswered? Has anybody ever had a prayer that hasn't been answered? It's okay, you can raise your hand. Right. <clears throat> I'm, I'm that way. Why do prayers go unanswered? Can we trust that God is working in our favor if he doesn't answer our prayers. You know, I have a friend. His name is John. He and his wife had a child who was born with a lot of very serious handicaps. Uh, he was born blind. He was born mentally handicapped. He was born physically handicapped. He can't, <clears throat> he can't feed himself. 
He can't go to the bathroom by himself. He can't talk. He can't do anything. He will need 24-hour care for the entire rest of his life. And, you know, they're both, they're both Christians. They prayed for years that God would heal him, at least heal him to the point where he could take care of himself to a, to a certain degree and maybe have a, a, a normal relationship, but it never happened. And what do we do with things like that? What do we do with, with you know, the death of a loved one or cancer or divorce or loss of a job or, you know, fill in the blank? What do we do with that stuff that we pray for, that we think this is what we need and God doesn't answer it, at least not the way that we think he should? What do we do with that? You know, I think part of it has to do with some misconceptions we have as Christians. Certainly, non-believers have this misconception about prayer, but I think Christians do too sometimes. You know, sometimes we think of God as this, you know, genie. You know, we pick up the lamp and, and rub it, uh, you know, three times, and then this, you know, genie with phenomenal cosmic powers pops out and uh, just answers our wishes, whatever we want. But that's not biblical, so Paul wrote the book of Romans. He wrote the book of Romans after about 20 years of very eventful ministry. He had shared the gospel. He had planted churches. He had seen God perform miracles. He had also been stoned almost to death. He had been arrested and beaten. That happened to him multiple times. He was at least one point the subject of a riot. There were probably a lot of points in that 20-year period when Paul would have said, that's Paul the Apostle, not that Paul, by the way. Anyway, <clears throat> there's probably a lot of points in that situation where Paul would have said that God did not answer his prayer in the manner which he thought. But he also could have testified that God's faithfulness was constant and unending throughout that entire time to him and to the church. So let's see what Paul has to say <clears throat> about this. We'll go back to the text. Verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So to understand why God doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should, first we have to understand the problem. What's the problem? We live in a fallen, broken world. Creation has been subjected to futility. I mean, certainly, if you didn't think that before this year, you would think that this year. <clears throat> Most of us have forgotten it by now. In January, uh, there were massive wildfires all the way across Australia, covered the whole continent. Uh, according to one journalist, 2.1 billion animals were killed. A few months before that, the same thing happened in the Amazon. The Amazon was on fire. There was a massive smoke cloud that covered like a, billion, a million square miles. I mean, certainly, creation has fallen. But it's not just creation. It's not just nature. It's mankind. You know... <clears throat> We should expect that of people who don't know Jesus. We should expect people who don't know Jesus to be broken. Paul says elsewhere, he says, the natural man cannot receive 
the things of the Spirit of God. If you don't know Jesus, you can't understand what God is doing. You're not going to understand why God doesn't answer your prayers if you don't know Jesus, certainly. But even Christians, it says, we who groan within ourselves, we also have this old man, and we're still covered in sin, and we don't also know what God is doing all the time. You know, the term here for, for futility, creation was subjected to futility. The term there in the Greek is matiotes, and it means ineffective or lacking a meaningful end. And, you know, as I watch the news over this last six months, and you see everything that happens with, you know, the coronavirus and all these kind of corrupt political things going on and, and uh, you know, riots and chaos and craziness in the streets, I think of them like beating their head against the wall. They can't get to what they're trying to accomplish. Whatever they're doing is ineffective. And that's sometimes what we feel when we're in prayer for something. We're ineffective at getting our message through to God. So we're broken. It's kind of like your son's playing soccer in the house. He's not supposed to play soccer in the house because his mom has told him a hundred times, don't play soccer in the house. But he is anyway, and he kicks the ball, and the ball goes into the cable box. Now the cable box doesn't work. You turn on the TV, and it's all, you know, squiggly, and uh, doesn't, you, know, you can't see what the picture is. The problem in that scenario is not that the information coming from the cable satellite is incorrect. The problem is that the receptivity of the cable box has been broken. That's our problem in prayer. Our receptivity of God's clearly revealed will is broken. We can't understand it correctly because we're broken. It's not that God is not answering us correctly. It's not that his will is not clear. It's that we can't receive it correctly because of our situation. That's not very encouraging, is it? Well, let's keep going. Verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we wait, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know, you start to see a theme kind of come out here. And the theme is hope. Creation was subjected in hope. In this hope, we were saved. We wait with hope for something that we wait for patience with. Hope gives us the ability to wait patiently. Why do we have hope if we're broken and can't understand what God is doing? We have hope because we have a helper. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. It says we don't even know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. You know, you start to see the you know, the concept of the Trinity, of the personality of the Spirit coming out here. And people uh, sometimes probably wonder why the church teaches that the Holy Spirit is a person. We teach the Holy Spirit is a person because the Bible declares that he is a person. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Having a mind is indicative of a person. The Holy Spirit intercedes. Intercession is indicative of a person. In order to intercede, you have to know who you're interceding to, and you have to know who you're interceding for, and you have to know that you're neither of those people. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is God himself, and God himself is interceding on our behalf. That's why we can have hope. 
So, like I mentioned, I, I'll do some ministry in prisons. Uh, a few years ago, a man came up to me, uh, an inmate came up to me and asked me for some prayer. I said, sure, of course, what, what can I pray for? <clears throat> now, he was in a mental health facility, and he was not a Christian. He would have said that he was part Jehovah's Witness and part Muslim. I'm not really sure how those two go together, <laughs> but he thought they did. Anyway, so he comes up and says, uh, can, I get some, can I get some prayer? I said, of course, what, what can I pray for? And he said, well, I need you to pray that I'll stop fornicating. Say, I'm fornicating, and God's judging me by making my teeth fall out. Since my teeth are falling out, I can't eat all my food. Since I can't eat all my food, I'm losing a bunch of weight. The doctor says I need to gain a bunch of weight to be healthy. So I need you to pray that I'll stop fornicating so my teeth won't fall out, so I can eat all my food, so I'll be healthy. That's pretty interesting. It's <laughs> a good thing about ministering in prison, man. You get some interesting conversations. <clears throat> so I did pray, of course, for all those things, because having all those things happen would be good things. But the main point of my prayer was not for any of those things. The main point of my prayer was that he would come to an understanding of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and find salvation. That, by far and away, is his most important need. You see, as a Christian who has the Holy Spirit living inside of him, I know that man's need, his most pressing need, more than he does. Now, if a Christian who still has the old man hanging on full of flaws and weaknesses, because i got plenty of them, if I can recognize a non-believer's needs more than the non-believer, how much more does the person of the Holy Spirit, who is God, how much more does he recognize our true needs than we do? It's kind of like we might pray for Exhibit A, whatever that is, a healing or a job or a relationship or fill in the blank. We might be praying for this thing for years. But the Holy Spirit, who intercedes according to God's will, recognizes that Exhibit A is not going to lead us into God's will. Exhibit A is going to lead us into something bad, something that's not God's will. So while we are praying earnestly for Exhibit A, the Holy Spirit is interceding for Exhibit B, which isn't God's will for us. We don't even know what Exhibit B is. It could be anything. Never even thought of it. But that's what the Holy Spirit is interceding for because that is what is in the will of God. So we're broken. We can't clearly understand what God is doing in our lives. We have hope because we have a helper who does perfectly know God's will in our lives and is interceding for that. Can we trust that what he's interceding for is in our best interest, is in our favor? Can we trust that? Let's go back to the text. Verse 28, he says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Holy Spirit intercedes according to God's will. God's will is for those whom he has foreknown, 
pro-gonofco in the Greek, right? To know beforehand. To know not just in an intellectual sense. I know a bunch of facts about something. To know in an intimate, experiential fashion. Mary, using the same word, says, how can I have a son? I've never known a man. For those whom God has known in an intimate fashion, in a loving, experiential fashion, those are going to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. That's what everything is working toward. Now, being conformed to Jesus is not all, it's not all smiles and roses. I mean, go read the Gospels. Jesus went through a lot of things that were pretty unpleasant. Jesus went through several things that were downright horrifying. But today, Jesus sits on the throne at the right hand of the Father, King of all creation and glory we can't even imagine. It's kind of like going to boot camp. A Marine or a soldier or an airman or, or a sailor going to boot camp. And they go to boot camp. And boot camp's not fun. People yell at you and call you all kind of weird names you've never heard before. Make you run everywhere and do push-ups and all kinds of, you know, unpleasant things. <clears throat> but everything that happens in boot camp is used to turn that recruit into a Marine or a soldier or a sailor or an airman, someone who is capable of fulfilling their duty. That's what life is like for us. God is using everything for our good of being formed into someone like the person of his son. And you know, look at what he says. He goes all the way back in the beginning in verse 18. He says, For I consider <clears throat> that the sufferings of this present time, there's going to be sufferings. Jesus says, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. You, you're going to have trouble. Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time. And you know, elsewhere, Paul calls suffering, refers to it as light and momentary. Light and momentary suffering. And you could pretty much put everything in that group. It doesn't feel that way. But death, divorce, you know, a child going astray, uh, picket, cancer, whatever it is. The worst things we can imagine you can put into that group of light and momentary suffering. Because when we finally step into eternity, when we're finally beholding the face of the king on his throne, the weight of that incredible glory is going to eclipse any pain we've ever felt. We're not even going to remember it. You know, it says Jesus is going to wipe away every tear. There's not going to be any tears because we won't have any pain anymore. It'll all be gone. You go read, go read Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, the throne vision that John has. And it's God on his throne in glory and power. And then his, his throne is surrounded by 24, 24 smaller thrones. And these, there's elders on these thrones that have on crowns and, a, and, a, and they're dressed in white. And they're sitting there as close as you can be to the presence of God. You know who those people are? That's redeemed humanity. That's us. That's me and you. That's where God is bringing us, to glory in his presence that we can't even imagine. And look what he says. He says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, past tense. He also called, past tense. He also justified, past tense. He also glorified, past tense. It's as good as done. You can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank that we're going to have suffering, but you can take it to the bank that God's going to bring us home. We're as good as glorified in his eyes. You know, I've, I've thought this a lot uh, throughout my life. I've, this has been an encouraging thing for a, for a while anyway. <clears throat> when God looks at me, he doesn't look at, uh, you know, the guy that's, you know, full of sins and does all kind of foolish things. He looks at someone covered in the blood of Jesus in a white robe, 
praising him perfectly in holiness in heaven because in his eyes, that's what I am already. It's been accomplished. So my friend, John, he and his wife, again, they, they prayed for years. Their son would be healed. He never was. He's 15 now. Their son is, and he still is in the same condition. But after a few years, they had changed their entire, their entire lives around to be able to care for a child in that situation. And after a few years, they said, well, you know what? We can care for other children. They're in the same situation. So that's what they did. They adopted one boy from China. They adopted two from the Ukraine, all of them with some pretty serious handicaps. Uh, the two girls, they were sisters that they adopted from the Ukraine. They uh, were in this orphanage, if you want to call it that, and uh, kind of the way they fed them was they would just kind of, you know, stick the food inside the, inside the room, and if you ate it, that's great, and if you don't eat it, you know, whatever. And this girl, she was five years old when they adopted her. She weighed 18 pounds. Like, that girl had been dead. But they adopted her. They brought her home. They fed her. They took care of her. They gave her, you know, medical care. They, they gave her all that she needed. And she, she's in a, in a, not in the, you know, normal state. She can't uh, care for herself. She can't feed herself and, and have normal conversations and things. But she knows she's loved. She hears her daddy's voice. Her daddy walks in a room, and she all lights up and runs over and gives a hug. She knows she's loved. That girl was given love and a future and a purpose because God didn't heal their son in the fashion that they wanted him to. And that family has just become a light for Christ in their community, in their church, at his work. So God is bringing them into conformity to Christ. And it's not the way they thought it was, but it's better in the long run. It's better than what they would have. I'll leave you with one other verse. Verse 38, he says this, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go to the...